Hello and welcome to another episode of The Brothers F, your favorite podcast about books and your favorite podcast. I'm Juan Carlos. Today's a very exciting day. We're joined by two friends of mine, Tommy and Lindsay. Tommy and Lindsay, you guys should say hi. Hello, um, I'm Tommy. Um, I went to high school with Juan Carlos. was in his grade, um, probably his best friend from high school, um, and have been a longtime fan um, of this podcast. And uh, basically, as of the start of quarantine, started reading for pleasure again. So um, I'm very, very honored to have gotten the the guest invite here. Um, And I brought along a friend of my own, Lindsay. That's so rude. I'm Lindsay. I'm Tommy's sister. Um, and I am here, to be honest, probably by proxy, but it's a real honor to be included. And uh, I have to admit that I was really good at reading all of my English books uh, in in high school, but really haven't challenged myself beyond like a beach read since then. So this has been a good exercise for uh, kind of returning to literature and I'm excited to talk to you guys about it because, uh, at least for me, it was it was not a seamless return. <laughs> what a return to literature! What a return, <laughs> listener! I forgot to say we read Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Super intense modernist novel. We will get into that, but that's great. So already something has come up, Tommy, that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, I want to. I want to. Hang on. I want to affirm Tommy's claim that he was my closest friend. And I want to contest Lindsay's <laughs> claim that he was, she was, he's here by proxy. It's great to have you both. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to start some controversy among other uh, Juan Carlos friends from high school. Um, so I think, um, I think controversy helps, um, helps generate hype for podcasts. So um, you're welcome, I guess. I'm with you on that. I think anything to stir the pot is uh, is good. Yeah, no, but something came up here, which was reading in high school and not reading that much since then, or starting to read since quarantine, which is totally real. Um, I didn't read much in college for pleasure at all, really, uh, which is sad. I feel like if your education teaches you to not enjoy reading, that would be, that seems sort of counterproductive. So I want to ask you, Tommy, because when we talked about doing this, you were like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Let me send you the list of books that I've read or I'm going to read. And both lists were extremely impressive. I don't want to embarrass you, put you on the spot here, but they were really great. So it's not that it's a game or you're trying to, you know, stack up stack up uh, points but if it is if it is a game you totally won and and i want to ask you on a slightly more serious note because i and i'm sure many of our listeners love reading but would like to read more how do you get yourself to read what what changed when quarantine happened yeah so i think at the beginning of quarantine like march april 2020 um it was much easier than it probably is for most people um, it, it basically started from this place of, I get bored and sort of intimidated watching TV shows, um, especially TV shows that are like eight seasons long, 
each episode's an hour, 15 episodes in a season. That's just so much content to get through. Um, and there were a bunch of books sort of in the back of my mind that I wanted to get to um, at some point, but that had basically started building out like junior year of high school um, and then never really read in college. Um, so it really was starting in a place where I was um, not bored, but looking for stuff to do. Um, and then started with, um, I think The Road by Cormac McCarthy was the first book I'd read in, like in, in a non-academic, non-school context in like a couple years um, and loved it. Um, and I think starting off on a on, yes, starting off on a good foot. So not not to um, deter Lindsay here, but starting off on a good foot really helped. Um, then make that second book much more like interesting and, and made me more excited to get into it. Um, and then the third one and the fourth one, it just sort of built out from there. Um, so there, there were many months of sort of living at home um, before I started work, after school ended, um, where I was just sort of looking for things to do that made me feel like I was using my days productively um, and reading and especially reading novels um, was such a good like escapist sort of use of time um, that made me feel better about myself sp spending five hours on the couch reading than five hours on the couch watching movies. Um, so that's sort of what, what started the um, this push in March, 2020. Nice, that is a good answer. Now that you are working, and I assume you can't spend five hours on the couch reading. What do you do? Do you read at the same time every day? Like, how does how do you make it happen? Because I struggle to make it happen. Yeah, no, it's it's harder and it happens a lot slower. Um, I think I now have enough momentum that like there is a stack of books um, on my like bedstand um, that every night reminds me that like there's still a lot to get through. Um, and it's like Sisyphean, right? Like you're never gonna as soon as you finish a book, there are like three more that I hear about that are either related or just in the time it took me to read that first book, um, I added more to the list. Um, so like, it, it's it's not something to accomplish. It's just uh, there are a, a bunch of things that when I have either time on the weekends or um, if I finish up work early enough to to feel like I still want to be productive today. Um, I, I pick up a book and read a couple pages and it is much more of like a, I read 15 pages of a book yesterday, not I read for five hours or I read 150 pages of a book yesterday. Um, but I don't know, 10, 10 pages over time adds up. Um, and I also have gotten into audiobooks um, when trying to get myself to like get out of the apartment um, and like walk around. I'm living in DC. Um, and I really like walking around just the city, especially at night um, and uh, listening to, to books. Um, so that also helps with uh, kind of checking off some of the books, especially the longer ones, since I don't really read like paperback books over 400 pages because that's just too daunting. Um, and 10 pages a day of a 400 page book takes way too long. Um, so those are usually the, the audiobooks. Okay, also a good, nice concrete policy there. If it's very long, audio it. Not sure I can recommend our listeners walk around the city at night with uh, with headphones in, but Tommy, you're a pretty big guy. You know, I'll, 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 uh, 
I'll uh, I'll allow that. Yeah, night night is usually more evening than than night. I'll say um, not many nights okay. at like two a.m. I'm walking around um, just in case my parents listen to this. I'm safe. I swear. Okay, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, cool, cool. And Lindsay, you are getting back in, and it was a struggle. We can we can slowly transition to Mrs. Dalloway because. <laughs> There are three very strong opinions about Mrs. Dalloway on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a um, I kind of fell into an opposite slump from Tommy, where when I would watch TV or movies, I would kind of go into work brain, and so it was like just kind of watching something um, did not feel as like relaxing and uh and just kind of like downtime in the way that reading does and so I think that after just kind of noticing about noticing that about myself and spending a couple months being like why do I feel like I can't just sit down and watch something um and not have it kind of stress me out more or make me want to you know kind of get up and and do something uh I remember that books existed and I said maybe I should give those (laughs) another try. Um, and so I also asked Tommy for his crazy list, um, or lists, I should say, and am trying to kind of begin to navigate those. Although I have to be honest, he is a lot more disciplined than I am in terms of books that do not necessarily books that you go into not knowing how you're going to feel about them. Um, and I think that he is a bigger risk taker in terms of like book genres. Uh, and so I, I'm trying to figure out now, like, okay, what is the way in that that first book will keep me reading? Um, and Mrs. Dalloway was an interesting, an interesting one to read for sure. And I'm glad that I did because this was never on a syllabus that I had in high school, which it feels like one of those books that would be. Um but also, you know, I think that it, it was not one of those ones that you're like, oh, yeah, I can't, you know, stop, can't put this down. I mean, even to the point that I'm not usually an audiobook person and I tried an audiobook on this because I knew that I couldn't stop reading <laughs> if I was listening to an audiobook. So, like, it got that, it got that desperate. Yeah, no, this is, this is not the, what are they called? It's not a gateway drug, I would say. Um, <laughs> the real Cormac McCarthy, though, I wanna, I wanna shout that out. That is a great, great book. Going back to your, your gateway drug, Tommy. You know, hopefully one day we'll cover that on the pod. Also, pretty short book, so that's that's always a, a virtue. I guess that's sort of a backhanded compliment, but no, that's that's all good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Mrs. Dalloway, Virginia Woolf. Um, Good time to transition. I'll give a little background. You're right, Lindsay. It's totally an English class book. I also did not read it in English class. Um, and I don't want to English class it, so to speak. Um, but I think I think a little background is helpful. So Virginia Woolf wrote it. She's this famous sort of modernist author. And uh, it's very hard to describe the book to a person. I know because I've tried several times without making the book sound really dumb. <laughs> so it's, it's about uh, a day in the life of, um, of Clarissa Dalloway, a woman who's in her 50s and living in post-World War I London. So Mrs. Dalloway wakes up 
she goes to town, she buys some flowers, she comes back, she meets a friend, the friend walks around, we follow the friend a little bit, uh, we go back to Mrs. Dalloway, she throws the party, end of, end of book, you know, so obviously I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, uh, overdoing it a little bit, uh, but, um, yeah, the book is not super heavily plotted, so to speak. There's not uh, tons of action. And uh, really, I think like the main sort of, uh, or one of the most distinctive features of the, about the book is that it's one of these stream of consciousness books. So um, uh, you're sort of like, you spend a lot of time in the heads of, in the minds of the characters. And, uh, and um, there's like some very long sentences and it flows, uh, it has a very interesting flow to it. Uh, so that, that's all I'll say for now. I don't know. Do, even, even that, do you guys think that's a fair characterization? What do you, what do you think of that? What, what are, what are your impressions of the novel in general? Yeah, I, I think that is a fair characterization. Um, definitely one of the most unique things about it, um, is that it is a, a day, right? It's 24 hours. Um, and, uh, that is, I think, what a lot of people like about it. Um, not to immediately um, speak ill of it, but I had read um, Saturday by Ian McEwan um, as, uh, two months ago, three months ago. Um, and then I'd also read <clears throat> One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, um, which are two other sort of like 24-hour long narratives. Um, and like those a lot more. <clears throat> so I think right off the bat, I was like, oh, cool. A, a day in the life. I think that's a very cool approach to it. Sort of like you were saying, stream of consciousness. Um, and I saw it done well um, twice before reading this one. Um, and this one just seemed like much, uh, 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 much more of um, like all of the things that happen and that are thought about in a day and not just the interesting things that happen and are thought about in a day. Um, so I, uh, I think, I think from a writing style point of view, um, very impressive. This is the only Virginia Woolf, um, novel of, of read. Um, but obviously she's one of the like great writers. Um, I just didn't love the, the sort of pacing of it. Um, and maybe the, the level of, depth it, it went into um with some of these characters kind of thoughts and um and how it, it paced all that okay so too much detail that is a fair criticism i think i think there are there are definitely parts of the novel that flag i want to just put my cards on the table i really loved it i really loved reading this book it doesn't hurt that uh we finally were getting some good weather and i read it uh like uh, a few sundays uh, in my hammock in my backyard, which is which is a nice place to read a book. So that'll color that'll color my impression, but but I really loved it. But before I go on or ramble too much, Lindsay, I want to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think that my my experience with it is so I was trying to first read it on a plane, which was an odd place to be reading it, um, because I do think that it's so it feels like a limbo land. Like the only thing that I could compare the brain space to is when I would like 
be, you know, on swim team in high school and in the pool during a workout and you can't be listening to music. So you're just kind of in your head with your thoughts. And I had this one day that I just like dissected the word arico ver, like the French word for green bean. And you're just kind of like thinking about it. And then you're like, and then what if your feet had teeth and then you're like going off onto there. And it's just like, you're like in a space that is just like lawless. And I think that that's kind of how the the book read to me is like, I didn't know where we were in time. I didn't even know who was talking about who at points, which I think that if I were, you know, outside in a hammock, maybe I wouldn't feel as also stuck in a lawless space as I did on like my Delta flight. But I do, I do think that it's a, um, it's just kind of like a weaving and waving book in a way that's interesting, but hard to, you have to, I felt like I had to click into the brain space. And then once I would click in, it would be interesting, but it would take me a second to get there. Um, and then also, you know, there were some, there were some pieces of it that I, I agree with Tommy, you know, like the stuff with, you know, the queen and, you know, everything I'm like, Oh, we're still, you know, seven pages later, we're still wondering who's, who's in a car. Okay. So there's no, there's no further information. We're all just like, I don't know. It could be this person or that person, or maybe it's this, I think it's this person. And I was like, can someone just, can someone either look or can we move on? Um, but you know, I think that that's also very, uh, reflective of, life. So in in that way, I think she captured it well. And she captured kind of the way that a brain works. Um, And also a way that like a lonely brain works. I think about that a lot with like, you know, with kind of what the themes of the book are. And it feels like the mental space of someone who is lonely. And just kind of you're like reflecting and you're thinking and you're getting anxious about things and you're getting sad about things, but you're also getting excited about things, you know, and it just kind of felt like you were stuck in the head of a lonely woman, um, which was just interesting in and of itself, even though it was not always easy to stick with. Yeah. Okay. That's super cool. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, the swimming thing sounds super funny and and really cool. I, I'm not sure I can relate because I was never good enough at swimming to like be able to think about anything except, you know, not not drowning when I was trying to swim. <laughs> um, but I think on a run too, like I'm a big runner and I think on a run you can sort of get into that zone, although it's not as extreme. Um, but I like a lot what you said that you're in this kind of limbo land when you're reading a novel because that definitely feels that definitely felt true to me that you're sort of weaving in and out of people's minds and in and out of people like you're weaving in space and in time too because the because the uh sort of a like a slinky right you only have this 24-hour window but sometimes you jump forward a lot and sometimes you're kind of like stretching out a few moments for pages on end um as you described so yeah i think a lot of what i liked about the book you Describe probably better than I could, so so that's good, but cool. Okay, so so we feel like she did some cool things, but it wasn't that fun to read in places. Is that a fair? Is that a fair characterization? I mean, I think I I wonder, and I I want to hear what you think as well, Tommy. Like, I kind of wonder why this is a classic in a way that I think that if I maybe did read it in an English class and really 
was able to kind of break it down looking at these bigger themes. You know, I, I assume that if I were reading this in a high school English class, like it would immediately be put in context of World War One, and it would immediately, you know, be put in context of what the public perception of the, you know, the monarchy is at this point and what it means to be in London and what that cultural and social fabric looked like at that time. You know, I think that in that sense, it would start feeling very topical and important in a way that these these little moments are actually very indicative of a bigger thing. Um, but because I was just kind of reading it as it was um, and didn't kind of do that research until partway through and then after, it just, I was wondering like, okay, this is, this is interesting, but this is very clearly one of those books that people at least have heard about. Um, and I was just wondering, like, why? Yeah, I, I, um, I will say, well, first of all, I also love your swimming analogy, Lindsay. Um, I thought that was spot on. Um, and I think it's really interesting that the reasons that Lindsay just explained why she didn't love it, um, Juan Carlos then immediately followed up with being like, yeah, you just really <laughs> explained the reason I liked it better than I could. Um, so I'm interested in, in hearing about that. Um, I would say to um, to th this first point, at, at the risk of getting too sort of like philosophical um, too soon, I recently was having a conversation with some of my friends about how we remembered books. Um, so I actually like want to ask you two first like when you think back on a book that you read a couple years ago um what about that book do you remember um if you're trying to just think about did i like this book um what was it about uh what what are the standout things from it what kind of things do you think about i think personally i often i often think about it what really stands out to me is how i sort of related to the characters I sort of developed a sort of affection for them. That's one thing that stands out. Another thing that stands out to me, and I think I'm I'm like a little bit uh, unusually sort of inclined towards this side of the thing, rather than like zooming out or seeing themes, I think like really snappy writing really sticks with me. Like one of my favorite books ever uh, that has come up before on the pod, although we still haven't done an episode about it, is called Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather. It's a short book. It's a very beautiful book. And uh, most of what I love about, or I love a lot about that book, but one of the big things is, is how she sort of describes the land. It's set in the American Southwest in the middle of the 19th century. And near the end of that book, she spends two pages describing, I think it's an apricot tree. And I'll never forget that until the day I die. Like, it's such a beautiful thing, but also... Uh, I mean, I don't think I don't think she was flexing, but but uh, but objectively, it's an incredible. Right? <laughs> it's like it's super impressive. But when she describes it, it's like you're you're sort of climbing through the tree, or you're going sort of in and out and seeing 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 it really well. So so I think like little moments like that are typically what what tends to sort of stick with me about reading a book. Yeah, I would say I generally speaking. I'm really bad at remembering books that I've seen, like books that I've read, like it just kind of, 
like I can I can read a book and usually remember if it's a title like that I've read it but I really struggle with being able to recall details certainly quotes don't stick with me um I think that what does stick with me is if there if when I'm reading it there's a very specific image in my head you know I think that the more that I can visualize what I'm reading in my mind and I think for me that just kind of comes down to the book the style of writing um the characters but I think that some books live on the page for me and other ones very vividly live in my imagination and I think that it's the ones that live in my imagination that I I feel like I've seen it almost as if I watched a movie. Um, those are the ones that are easier to kind of think about and recall, uh, you know, years down the line. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's super interesting. I think I'm probably closer to you, Lindsay, um, in that I I pretty much like see scenes from books um, when I think back on. Uh, uh, really any novel I, i'm sure this is also why i like novels um in particular um is that like it is it is characters but definitely not character names much more like specific scenes and um story arcs and um even character arcs but again not names um and i think that is partially why this book resonated with me a bit less um was because I'm I'm almost like factual with my approach to books, um, but also contextual. So I, I, I don't think of themes as much as I wish I did. I, I don't really think of how I relate to characters as much as I wish I did. Um, but I do think about like the context in which I read it. And this was particularly true with, if it's a book I talked about in English class, like that conversation that came from it is obviously then something that I remember. So actually like, the act of doing exactly this will probably make Mrs. Dalloway one of the most like memorable books um, in my mind. Um, so thanks for that. Um, but, and I realize that sounds a little bit sarcastic because I don't love the book, but I actually am appreciative of that. Um, oh, we, we love uh, it. Good to hear. Perfect. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that, um, I mean, one close to your point, this book is very much like, about like a lively city um and like being out and about um and i sort of got that fix um through like many other <laughs> books i feel like i've i've read um and actually uh, i don't know if either of you have seen pretend it's a city um which is a show it's like a three episode show with fran leibowitz talking to martin scorsese um just like walking around New York City um, and filmed like right before everything closed down and was just like New York bustling and, and was such a good reminder that this came out three months ago or something. Um, so like such a good reminder of like, oh yeah, this was what like living in a huge city used to be like when, when people were out and about. Um, and so I feel like I'd sort of gotten that fix up until this point. And so reading this now, it, it was like, I think I would have felt sort of more what you were feeling, Juan Carlos, of like um, the the context of it made like separate it from the pack. Um, but I, I sort of already like used that up. Um, 
through other books or shows that I've, I've read recently. Cool. Cool. That all makes a lot of sense. Maybe now is a good time for me to talk about what I liked about the book. Um, and I actually have a passage. We don't often do this, but I wish we did it more on the pod because I think passages are, passages are a great way to kind of get things going. Um, I have a passage that captures a lot of what I enjoyed reading the book. And if I had to sort of put that into my own words, it would be that at times my brain or maybe my mind or my mind's eye, it felt like it was in a pin- pinball machine that uh, Virginia Woolf had designed. And it was a pretty crazy pinball machine, you know, like bouncing around and lights going up here and things things sort of going, going I mean, like a pinball machine. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and, uh, and few things have sort of grabbed me, I think, uh, the way that this did. And so that's, that's what really, that's, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I think it would probably be that, that my mind really felt like it was kind of in this pinball machine or on this roller coaster. Um, and I think that's a testament to like really awesome writing. But anyway, here's a passage that I think captures uh, some of that. Um, this is in the middle of the book. There's, there's Clarissa's friend, Peter, and he's walking around in a park and he sits down. Um, and uh, it says here, <clears throat> he had only to open his eyes. But a weight was on them, a fear. He strained, he pushed, he looked. He saw Regent's Park before him, long streamers of sunlight fawned at his feet. The trees waved, brandished. We welcome, the world seemed to say. We accept, we create. Beauty, the world seemed to say. And as if to prove it, scientifically, wherever he looked at the houses, at the railings, at the antelope stretching over the palings, beauty sprang instantly. To watch a leaf quivering in the rush of air was an exquisite joy. Up in the sky, swallows swooping, swerving, flinging themselves in and out, round and round, yet always with perfect control, as if elastics held them, and the flies rising and falling, and the sun spotting now this leaf, now that, in mockery, dazzling it with soft gold and pure good temper. And now and again some chime, it might be a motor horn, tinkling divinely in the grass stalks. All of this, calm and reasonable as it was, made out of ordinary things as it was, was the truth now. Beauty, that was the truth now. Beauty was everywhere. So I think that's pretty cool. Why do I like that passage? I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, one is this pinball thing, right? Like uh, your attention's jumping around, the swallows in the sky, the flies, the sun, this leaf, that leaf. Um, another is the zaniness of it, right? So so now and again, some chime, and then in parentheses, it might be a motor horn tinkling divinely in the grass stalks. Um, I don't know anything about cars in the 1920s, but I don't think motor horns sounded a lot like chimes, right? So that's kind of a strange uh dissonant thing right there's like a bit of a jolt there um which i think is cool and finally i think the book is cool because like this is sort of or peter here i guess sort of like capturing a lot of what i like in the book which is these ordinary things that are just cast in this kind of brilliant light that you see them in this sort of like dazzling and and sort of strange way um and i feel like that's what she did by writing the book she took you know a pretty ordinary day it's it's got some excitement to it but it's pretty ordinary and she's shown this very strange light on it and uh and you see it in a in a very new way um so that passage i think it, I think it captures it pretty well there are a few more i couldn't i couldn't find i couldn't quite pin it down but uh yeah what are you guys thoughts uh well didn't they explain um or at least talk about um mr dalloway um as having this divine simplicity Right. I, I think I think it's exactly that. I, I think they they said it in sort of a like derogatory way of like 
Yeah, at least at least people people were, especially Mrs. Dalloway was like upset with how simple um, her husband was. Um, but that that is definitely one of my favorite things about the book was how beautiful such simple things were made to to be and to sound. Um, and it also got me wondering pretty frequently, like where she was when she wrote this book, um, like physically, like. It, it's I sort of have like similar types of thoughts with painters um, of like some of them set up an easel and like paint the coast that they're looking at. Um, but some of them do not. Um, and especially pre photography era painters um, when you can't just, you're not just like basing off a photograph, like that, that like level of detail that's in your mind's eye, I think is so, so impressive. Um, so I do wonder like how much of this was just sort of Virginia Woolf having this um, like natural divine simplicity. Um, and this, this just way about this way of thinking about things that um, that does make the ordinary so extraordinary. It feels like the, the equivalent of just kind of the whole book felt like the equivalent of people watching, right? Like, you know, sitting, sitting at a cafe, like listening into other people's conversations or, um, or just kind of like looking around you and seeing like this city existing in these smaller scenes. And obviously that was broken up a bit when she kind of goes into her own head and is talking about her past. But I think that, you know, even though that's not something that's necessarily happening around her, it's happening within her. I do think that it still lives in the same, in the same world of people watching and that sometimes that attention is focused outside and, looking at these really kind of mundane, familiar things, whether that's kind of these leaves or flowers or people that she's met so many times. Um, but then also finding the, the new in that and the exciting in that. Um, and also finding like where, you know, all of these people are kind of, a different person today than they have been before and then they will be again. Um, and then it's interesting to kind of study, okay, so which people does she actually see that in and which people does she not, you know, which people is she getting bored of and which people is she still excited by? And I think that that's what was so interesting when she was kind of talking about her, you know, current and previous love interests is like, she has so much, respect in some way for her husband but it's like a bored respect it's like a yeah I, I recognize that he's you know good in some ways and also you know this isn't exciting to her in the way that we see her get excited about other parts of the world um so yeah I I hear that and I think I I agree with both of you in that that was something that was really unique to me in her writing and really did make me wonder about like, where was she sitting? Like, was she people watching? Was she sitting at a cafe or was she somewhere quiet? And this just all came out of her mind. Yeah. She herself is a very interesting figure. And uh, well, let me say first, it's a good point you make. And uh, I love people watching. I, I think I could do it for, for hours. So maybe that's, maybe that's part of why I love the book. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Virginia Woolf, um, I, this is slightly more somber. She she killed herself uh, in her fifties, actually. Um, and I don't want to spend too too much time on this, but but 
I think it would be helpful to discuss a little bit maybe the psychological aspects of the novel uh, if you guys want to and 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 are fine with that. I think that's some of what struck me sort of very powerfully in the novel. Uh, Mrs. Dalloway's loneliness, also her optimism. She's she's a pretty sunny person. I think I felt a lot of affection for her by the end of the novel, um, which which was nice. Um, there's there's another character in the novel who's pretty important named Septimus Warren Smith, and uh, here's a here's a spoiler for the listener, I guess, but but he does commit suicide um, partway through the novel, and that actually was some of the the most that was probably the most sort of powerful like sort of side hustle of the book i guess for me um because septimus warren smith uh you do spend some time in his mind you spend time in the minds of all the characters but you spend some time in his mind and he's married to a very nice girl who doesn't really understand what exactly uh he's dealing with and um and Virginia Woolf, I feel like, has a pretty devastating... She renders a pretty devastating verdict on uh, mental health and, like, the institutions and structures that were in place for for helping people who are struggling with mental illness at that time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what what stood out, if anything, about sort of the more psychological side of the novel to you guys? Yeah, well, I, I don't know about this, but she also was bipolar, maybe, right? Um, and spent time in institutions. So, like, that's a that is a very good point. And yeah, having um, him commit suicide, I thought was, I, I mean, like, very much caught me by surprise. Um, there were definitely similarities between Septimus and Ms. Dalloway. Um, I think pretty intentionally um, throughout throughout the novel and things they'd say or think. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I didn't really like know what to think of that statement um, when he I, and also I was like sort of confused by the scene um, when he like usually like, jumps out of a window, right? Um, and uh, I was like, oh, this is like a dream sequence or something, right? Um, that didn't actually just happen. Um, so yeah, I, I I know this. He he had PTSD. He was basically suffering from PTSD, um, maybe among other things. Um, and also, this also is a sort of England in the post World War One era. Um, I think also sort of damning statement um, statement there. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, I think she was uh, clearly pretty impassioned by um, the the kind of um, unfortunate end that is almost inevitable for him. Um, cause there's no real character arc, um, in Septimus, especially not in the physical world. Like everything that's happening for him is happening in his head. Um, which is probably a good metaphor, uh, for PTSD, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And to flesh it out a little bit for the listener, um, he just has a horrible experience with two different psychiatrists and, uh, and he loves his wife and his wife loves him. And uh, at the end, I think when, when he does, does commit suicide, he, uh, he like sees some hope and then the doctor sort of comes back. And as the doctor's coming up the stairs, he's, he, he, he realizes that he's not gonna, he, he, he is not going to, or can't, um, 
continue to to deal with it. So it definitely hit me pretty hard. I think also it's a good point, Tommy, that uh, it's sort of not that clear. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of similarity between Mrs. Dalloway and, and Septimus and even Peter. So the three different minds that you sort of spend a lot of time in. And I think I think that's definitely intentional. I think if the novel does, you know, one thing better than anything else, it really blurs lines, right? And it blurs lines between what's what's objective and what's subjective, you know, what's I guess what's in your head and what's out there. And then of course between, you know, what's healthy and what's what's not. Um the novel actually ends with Clarissa, like there's an ambulance that drives by her party and Clarissa and Mrs. Dalloway, she's sort of musing about, uh, she hears the news that a man had killed himself and she's sort of musing about what an end that would be to make. And I think she sort of ends up reasoning that it's a, it's a good end um, to sort of try to preserve what happiness you had. So sort of a dark note for the novel to end on, but definitely, definitely um, powerful. What about you, Lindsay? What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I thought that it was it was interesting and definitely said a lot about kind of the way that Virginia Woolf, or maybe, you know, maybe I should just keep it to Clarissa Dalloway, viewed the way that mental health was seen and, and treated in London at that time. Um, you know, the fact that she kind of feels like he saved his soul by committing suicide and that you know he like that was actually a a way to preserve rather than destroy and that that was ultimately you know the right move is both fascinating you know within the character of Mrs. Dalloway and also very eerie when you think about kind of the the trajectory of Virginia Woolf's life um and yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's, it is interesting to be in one character's head for so much of this novel, because you kind of see the ways in which everyone is like one step away from quote unquote insanity, and that this man was struggling with something, but that she was talking about, you know, feelings that she's had and things that she's struggled with throughout her life, um, whether that's uh, whether that's like wanting, like flirting with the idea of infidelity or even having a, you know, a crush on one of her childhood friends or, you know, kind of these things that super would not have gone over well at that time. Um, but also, you know, she gets to kind of escape from this as like the hostess of this party and somebody who is kind of, uh, seen as like clean or well, you know, through society's eyes. Um, meanwhile, this man who is just struggling, um, is kind of seen as this like lost cause. Um, and then for her at the end to be like, I actually think that like this was best for him and that he kind of held on to what he had by doing this was just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that scene at the end where she's at the party and she's sort of entertaining these things. Um, I don't know about you guys, that kind of made me think of college. You know, I feel like this classic thing in college is this. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure this came up, uh, you guys, but like this sort of duck thing, or I, I forgot what exactly it's called. But this idea that sort of everyone on the surface looks totally calm and, and cute, but under the surface they're paddling like crazy. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that rings super true a hundred years later, you know, like everything's very polite and you're meeting the right people and sort of going through the motions of the party and people are laughing and the right people are meeting each other. And definitely a big part of Mrs. Dalloway is happy that all that's happening. Like some of that is kind of for Jan, right? Just sort of seeing it all go well. Um, but at the same time, yeah, she's got this sort of like uh, this deeper sort of dissatisfaction, definitely some insecurity there. Although she's also, she owns it. Like she's, I don't know. I thought, I thought she was cool, but there's definitely, she's got a pretty rich inner life. Right. And you would think that she's just sort of a superficial, uh, you know, wealthy sort of social woman, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah. What else? What else? We should, we can, we can start wrapping it up, but, uh, but did anything else stand out to you guys? Anything you want to bring up? Um, something I was wondering about, and this is really because I just like learned what this was. Um, so I heard about what's called the Bechdel test. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but sort of like a gimmicky thing. I'm sure it's not a very like academic, um, yep, like lens to put on a, it's real. It's a thing. Okay. Um, so it, it is basic. I, like I, I, I'm sure there are like a uh, Buzzfeed articles about this, which is why I'm wondering, but also maybe it's, um, talked about in academia. Um, what it is, is, um, a way of looking at a piece of content, a movie, a, a book, um, and asking if there is a scene in it where two women talk to each other uh not about a man um so it's it's sort of like a proxy to see if there is a like genuine female presence in it um and you would be shocked how many huge movies and um tv shows like are not passing that um which is a pretty low bar to clear um in terms of just having a a female voice and an influence on a um like piece of media uh, but at the fact that it is so low, low is, I think, the entire point of it. Um, and I was thinking while reading this book, I don't think this passes the Bechdel test, which, I, again, is only one way of looking at um, a, a piece of content. Um, and like this is written by Virginia Woolf. Like she is obviously one of the biggest, most influential female writers in particular um, around this time period. Um, I was wondering like what sort of the the female lens or like the the um I, I don't want to just say like a feminist lens because that's that's very like broad and like buzzwordy um but sort of like how that played into this um especially considering this was written by a female author and like mo a lot of mrs dalloway's problems are around like oh which of my previous boyfriends am I interested in now? Um, I, I thought that was like sort of interesting to think about as I went along. Um, and yeah, I don't know, open up the floor. I wonder what you guys think about that. Yeah, well, so I, the Bechdel test was something that I actually first heard about when reading Fun Home, which is by Alison Bechdel, um, who basically was the one the like mother of this uh and was like this is a very low bar but again as you were saying it's one that so many things just don't pass um and it was something that then 
being in college and beyond, whether it was like women and gender studies classes or English classes, um, that was an important thing that we would discuss when we were reading different books, uh, whether they were written by, you know, female authors or not. Um, and I think that that I, I was thinking about that too, as, as we were reading this. Um, and I was interested in that, uh, I kind of justified it a bit by wondering about, um, about like how much of life at this time truly like did not revolve around a man. You know, if a woman could not open her own bank account, like what can she do without a man, you know? And, but I do think she talks, one of the reasons that I think her little thing talking about her relationship um, with her friend Sue, I believe it was, if I'm not totally mistaken. Um, Sally. sorry, Sally, maybe Sally, Sally, Sally. I'm thinking of Dickinson, which is <laughs> the wrong, the wrong author. Um, but when I, uh, yeah, so when she's talking about Sally, um, one of the reasons that that felt like a breath of fresh air is because she is talking about something that is not a man or male adjacent. However, I think that it like, it passes the Bechdel test and also doesn't pass with flying colors because it's still a romantic relationship. Um, so there's not a lot of just kind of pure like female friendship in here. And it made me wonder about like, okay, well, how much would there have been at the time versus how much was life just kind of by necessity, um, male oriented. Yeah, that's a super good point. Uh, in general, I'm a big fan of, I feel like trying to read things on their own terms, not just sort of out of fairness to the text, but also like, because it's, it's definitely like the best way to do it. You know, it's like, it's going to enrich it, um, a lot. And yeah, it, 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 it really, yeah, it does get you thinking about, yeah, what life was for a woman back then if she couldn't, as you say, um, open a bank account in her own name. Um, yeah, there was a passage actually <clears throat> that got me thinking about some of this stuff because it's Clarissa early on in the novel <clears throat> and she's sort of considering herself, I guess, or she's looking at herself in a mirror. Um, so so I'll read, I'll read this as well. Uh, hopefully it's not too long, but I, I think it's very beautiful and, uh, and it's, it's sort of adjacent. Uh, June, July, August, each still remained almost whole, and as if to catch the falling drop, Clarissa, crossing to the dressing table, plunged into the very heart of the moment, transfixed it there. The moment of this June morning, on which was the pressure of all the other mornings, seeing the glass, the dressing table, and all the bottles afresh, collecting the whole of her at one point, as she looked into the glass, seeing the delicate pink face of the woman who was that very night to give a party, of Clarissa Dalloway, of herself. How many million times she had seen her face and always with the same imperceptible contraction. She pursed her lips when she looked in the glass. It was to give her face point. That was herself, pointed, dart-like, definite. That was herself when some effort, some call on her to be herself, drew the parts together. She alone knew how different, how incompatible and composed, so for the world, only into one center, one diamond, one woman who sat in her drawing room and made a meeting point, a radiancy, no doubt, in some dull lives, a refuge for the lonely to come to. Perhaps she had helped some young people, 
who were grateful to her, had tried to be the same always, never showing a sign of all the other sides of her, faults, jealousies, vanities, suspicions, like this of Lady Bruda not asking her to lunch, which she thought, combing her hair finally, is utterly base. Now, where was her dress? So going back to an earlier thing, I think that's cool. It's cool how effortlessly uh, Virginia Woolf pulls your, pulls your imagination around uh, or your mind around. But also this, this got me thinking about sort of, yeah, femininity and, and sort of this side of things in the novel, because on the one hand, Clarissa is looking at herself in a mirror, right? And she's sort of thinking about how, how other people view her and sort of she pouts her, her lips a little. She, she, uh, it gives her face points. Um, but on the other hand, she has such sort of a deep knowledge of herself that seemed to me sort of a triumph, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's just, yeah, as we were saying earlier, this, this apparently superficial person, you look inside and there's this real sort of depth and richness and inner life to her. Um, so, uh, so that got me thinking, but, uh, but anyway, this was super great guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really great having you on. Um, I'm trying to think, what should we do to wrap up? Should we wrap up on Mrs. Dalloway or should we wrap up on life or other books? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to vote for the latter. Um, one thing I wanted to call out, um, you, you've done a tremendous job reading these passages aloud. Um, I've been just like while reading books, trying to read aloud more often. Um, I feel like that, that helps. I'm, I mean, quite literally bring it to life. Um, but also just kind of adds another dimension. And I think also just like makes me focus on enunciating words better and, and all that. Um, and there were so many times throughout Mrs. Dalloway where I just could not figure out my breathing because you have like page or yeah, page and a half long sentences that have like 30 commas and 18 parentheses in them. Um, and I just like couldn't figure out how to read that aloud um, and not like run out of breath before I hit another comma. Um, and so I think you've done a tremendous job. Um, so I wanted to shout you out for that one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That's so funny because I've never read things aloud until I read this. I read this and some sentences I thought were so cool that uh, that I just read them aloud right after reading them. So um, so that's that's nice to hear, of course, but thank you. But uh, also cool and a good point to uh, to keep in mind. So yeah, so so what do you guys want to read next? Interesting question for both of you. A seasoned, uh, uh, you know, a veteran reader like yourself, Tommy, and a uh, and an old an old uh, you know someone returning to the league, <laughs> someone returning to the league after 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 some time away. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys are what you guys are excited about. Well, I'll start um, because I I actually uh, want to throw it back to Tommy because I texted him about two days ago saying, hi, Tommy, I'm looking for a book recommendation. What would you recommend? And uh, I was left on red. So, Tommy, what would you recommend? <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> okay, well, this is unfair. And I have to give two book recommendations. <laughs> um that that was that was very well played, Lindsay. Um, I, it must not have come through. Um, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> um, no, that's very fair. So I just finished reading *The Sun Also Rises*. Um, I th there are a couple actually, um, like great American authors that um, I either haven't gone to or like 
F. Scott Fitzgerald. I've only read Gatsby. Um, and I think that there is some, uh, I'm trying to sort of find this balance between feeling like I'm catching up and reading stuff that just genuinely sounds interesting. Um, and so there's some like Russian literature that, um, actually the namesake of this podcast, like the brothers K is one that I feel like I should read. However, it's a bear. Um, and so like, I, I, that is on the list. Um, I don't know how quickly I'm going to get to that. Um, but books like that where um, I I'm, feel like I'm playing catch up versus just really want to read it because it sounds really interesting. Um, I am about halfway through For Him to Bell Tolls um, and really like the way that Henry writes. Um, it's also like the way he talks about drinking three bottles of wine at his like Parisian lunch is is like so bad but so fun to to read um so it's almost like my like guilty pleasure read um and it's like short sentences and (laughs) very quick reads so that also helps um so there's some more books like that i think my like real next step um i really liked stories of your life and others which is a ted chang um collection of short science fiction stories um and i would recommend that to you also lindsay it's really like the first science fiction book or collection of short stories um that i've read and is just so interesting um the types of themes and um the stories themselves but also like the philosophical implications of things that i think you wrote it in the late 90s maybe um but talking about like AI and um, and like the ethics of machines and and things that are there's also a bunch of biblical illusions and um, I, I think it's just a lot rolled up into these like very concise um, short stories um, and I loved that and he has another collection called Exhalation um, that is like very high up on my list of, of what to tackle next. Um, and actually in Stories of Your Life and Others, the story, Story of Your Life, which is one of them, um, was the basis for Arrival, the movie that, that came out a couple years ago. Um, and very, very cool movie also. Um, I, I'll shout that one out. Um, I think it was nominated for a bunch of uh, awards. Um, and so like seeing that and reading what that was based on and then a bunch of other things around it. Um, I found very, very interesting. Um, so breaking out a bit from probably what I'm most comfortable with and, and used to, um, and getting into, well, a short stories and the science fiction. Um, I thought that was a really good place to start there. Hey, that's a great answer. I want to retweet so much in that answer. First off short stories. We love short stories on the brothers app. <laughs> We're always trying to, Lighten the load, and uh, no, it's a di- it's it's a different thing. It, it's cheap to just say it's sort of easier than um, than novels. That's obviously a perk, but it's also got its own. You know, there's so much you can do there, so that's really cool. I want to retweet Ted Chang because a good friend of mine who I think listens to the pod gave me a book of Ted Chang short stories for my birthday, and uh, I didn't read any of them, so I'm I'm gonna get back to that. Um, that's really cool. And finally, I want to retweet. Um, uh, this tension that you identified, which is spot on between reading sort of the big fish that you're supposed to read, you know, and I, I, I put that in quotes, 
and the stuff that you enjoy. I, I definitely feel that. And I think, uh, I think, I think I've, I think I've, I've landed on a, in a good place there, which is I'm not going to force myself through anything, right? If I'm not enjoying it, then there's, then there's really no point. But also there are certain things that, I don't know, I, I guess we were talking about TV at the beginning of the pod, and, and maybe this is a nice way to sort of bring things to a close. I think TV, it's sort of one extreme, right? It meets you completely where you're at, right? And you can kind of just sort of like sit on the couch. Maybe, I mean, it sounds like, Lindsay, you, you had some trouble with this, but but uh, you can sort of just veg out, you know, and, and TV will sort of wash over you. So I think any book, you have to sort of go out to meet it a little bit. But how far you have to go out, that sort of depends on how difficult the book is. I think Mrs. Dalloway, for example, it's pretty out there. You know, it's not coming to your front doorstep. You have to sort of get out there and, and really enjoy it. You know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, maybe that's a little bit closer closer to home. You know, it's not going to take as much as much effort. Um, and so I, I, I like this way of thinking about it because it, it reminds me that it's not just about like, oh, this is easy to read and this is hard to read. There are some things that are harder to read, but I think if I can sort of get myself out the door and go out and meet them, then sometimes it's worth it. And sometimes it's not, right? I've read some things that are supposed to be classics and I just didn't like them. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, bash, be bashing books here on the pod. Um, but sometimes it is. So I think this is, I think this is, this has been helpful for me because it's not like, A, I don't feel deficient for not enjoying something, but B, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't like the right time or the right moment in my life to be reading like the Brothers Karamazov, for example. But there might be other times later on where where it is the right moment, you know? So it's, it's uh, you know, I think it comes in seasons like anything else. So uh, that's, a, that's a nice thing. Well, awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much, Tommy, Lindsay. This was a great convo. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy to have you on in the future. Um, any, any closing words for the listeners? Just want to thank you very much for having us on. Um, I, I love what you and your brothers are doing here. Um, and uh, I, I just want to like call back the um, point I made earlier that now because of this conversation, Mrs. Dalloway, um, I, I both think that I will remember it more and just like this conversation definitely added a, a new element that I've missed so much from not having an English class to return to and talk about a, a book um, with 30 other people who also read that book and a professor who read that book three dozen times. Um, so I've, I've absolutely loved this. Um, and wanted to really thank you Juan Carlos and thank you Lindsay for, for hopping on, um, and adding, I think a lot to this conversation. Awesome. Hey, that's what we're all about. So that's good to hear. Yeah, this is awesome. And it was, it was so fun to kind of check this out and you know i was listening to so many of your your other ones and it's like it's really cool what you guys are doing and um and thanks tommy for for letting me come along great and thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the brothers app we will see you next week Hey guys, this is Poppy, and thanks for listening to another great episode of Brothers F Bookcast. Why don't you do us a favor and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and send us any feedback or episode ideas or just anything you'd like to reach out to us about at brothersfpod at gmail.com. Thanks, guys.